Hello, and welcome to episode 104 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee, believe it or not. (laughs) I am back after the longest and most spotty podcast season ever. I apologize so much for the irregularity of these podcasts. I will say that if not for the incredible and continuing encouragement and support of the patrons over on patreon.com, I would have probably thrown in the towel because it's been the year that things have just not gone as I intended them. But I can't complain because there's not anything tragic or terrible that has happened. Just life stuff, health stuff. But all that's getting better, hopefully evening out a bit. I very much want to get back on track with all of you because talking to you about the bees helps me be connected to the bees, even in a season that is by far not my my best season. I mean, the bees look great, (laughs) but they are going into winter more unkempt than I would prefer, and that is, is my habit and my goal. We'll see how they do. The mite counts are are good, but I haven't done mite counts on everybody. I just had to do a a sampling, and a lot of them are going to go into winter with, with fingers crossed rather than skill on my part, and we'll see how it goes. It could be a brutal selection year, <laughs> selecting among the, the toughest of my bees. I hope not, because darn, they are just gorgeous, and I hope that they go through winter that way. Because I didn't harvest honey to amount to anything, most of the full-size hives are rock-heavy. I've had to watch that on some because I did lose more swarms this year, many more swarms than is typical. Usually I try to get out ahead and, and have everybody so thoroughly split that I don't get a ton of swarms, but boy, I lost a bunch of swarms this year just not being able to get out ahead of them. So interestingly, you know, a lot of a lot of your honey flies out the door with the swarm. And so there have been some that I had to do some feeding that I wouldn't have expected. The populations were good, but what happened is they were not recovered from the swarm in terms of stores by the time our late summer dearth set in. And it is it has been striking uh late summer dearth because it's been so dry, unusually dry for us. So there have been areas in my neighborhood that I've talked to beekeepers who had hoped to open their hives and get a whole bunch of sourwood honey. And to their dismay, there was virtually no sourwood honey because I think they ate it as fast as they brought it in of whatever we have. I don't know how sourwoods respond to lack of rain. I'm not sure. Some nectars are more dramatic about that than others. Maybe I'll look that up this winter. We're not a great sourwood area in Yancey County. We're not by far not the best, but sometimes we get some and this was not that year. (laughs) On the other hand, some hives that were either split or swarmed built back up remarkably. And per usual, I've gone around and made some notes on everybody, how they look, how heavy they are, what went on to the best of my knowledge with that hive, how much population they look like they have. I'm doing the the last call restructuring of the hive boxes, com- compacting those who just don't need as many boxes as they have, and also starting the process. And this is something that if you haven't done it yet, I would say is a, is a great winter prep to kind of split the difference in, you know, full insulation and no insulation at all. And that is insulating your outer cover on the underside of your outer cover, insulating that with a thick piece of foam board or similar. That has been a a great thing for my yard. And since I've been doing that with foam board, I have not had any death by condensation drip 
no no wet dead bees thank goodness since that and i credit a lot of that to the thickly insulated outer cover which of course prevents the condensation from forming on the underside of of a cold uninsulated outer cover and dripping back down on the bees which is a death sentence in the winter so that has worked great in past years i continue i will be planning on doing that we are so late in the season here at least in the high high mountains of North Carolina. We've already had first frost, and even though it is getting sunny and warm in the middle of the day, the bees are out. They're on aster and still goldenrod. There seemed to be a small goldenrod nectar flow, judging from the smell of the bee yard, which is that wonderful, that's the wonderful stinky sock smell, as opposed to the scary stinky sock smell of some of the brood diseases. So at least I'm going in with with heavy hives, not much to do there. It will be the smaller hives or the ones that just didn't recover from swarms that I will need to either Robin Hood honey frames onto or be prepared to feed something like winter patty or sugar bricks, that type thing. And by being prepared, mainly I need to have it on hand. And also I need to make sure that the inner cover setup, I have multiple kinds of inner covers that I've collected over the years. So to know what kind of inner cover is on each hive and whether I need a shim, an extra box or what in order to be able to put the winter patties or sugar brick on there for stores for the winter of those few lightweight ones. I did not make many new queens this year. The bees made a lot of new queens (laughs) with their swarms and I had really, really good luck with queen returns. Like I said, I I don't often lose that many swarms, so I kind of wondered how the queen returns would be and with after swarms and all that, but so far they look really good and the effect of that swarm, much like a split where the where the brood nest is removed from the flying bees, if you do the types of split that divide those populations up, then the portion that does not have the brood nest will often be beautifully mite free. And going forward, so they can have that that full mite knockback in the summer. This was mostly high summer, and then that puts you going into fall pretty good in many cases. If your if your bees are fairly hygienic, and then you clean them up like that, you know I've bragged about the runaway split earlier this year. Used it quite a few times in the the few hives that I beat before before they swarmed. But another kind of split that I did use and kind of as an experiment and it and it worked very well is the fly black fly back split. And this is something from a queen rear named Lori out in Washington state where I read about it one time. And it's it's very similar to the runaway except instead of putting that frame of eggs in the original position so you've moved the brood nest portion of the hive away somewhere else in the in the yard. And then you've put fresh equipment on the old spot. So all the fly, flying bees are going to go back to that spot. And unlike the runaway split, with a flyback split, you put the queen in that box. So basically, instead of them building a new queen and then building a new brood nest, they just build a new brood nest with a laying queen. They bounce back a lot quicker, of course, than a, than a runaway. Now, the complication is you have to find the queen. But I think a flyback is an important tool to have in your toolbox because it's a way to create a, a good brood break 
on the portion that has the brood nest. And on the portion with the queen, because you don't move any brood to that hive, she rebuilds her brood nest. And of course, flying bees have a certain amount of mites on them, hopefully not many if your mites are under control. And definitely not many compared to the brood nest in in either case. But I, I tried this as a way to get new queens for me and also to be able to give nukes with retired queens, essentially, to some friends that I wanted to share particular genetics with. And I was delighted that one of those recipients let me know afterwards. They said, you know, the nuke you gave me looks great. And I did a mite count and it literally had zero mite. And I'd love to take credit for that somehow, but it was really the flyback split that did that. So it's a wonderful way to create a nuke with a laying mature queen with usually a very low mite count. So as I look back over this season, the runaway split and the flyback split were extremely handy. I still use my queen castles and basically on one hive, I can't remember which one, I had to look back at my notes to know, but I opened it up and there were just loads of beautiful ripe swarm cells. So you open it up, you see those swarm cells. If you have the queen castles, you can make little mini, mini nukes, mini mating nukes with by many, I don't mean the size of the frame, I just mean the number of the frames to get some fresh queens. And I did that in one case because, and this was right after the solstice, the timing was perfect for that. So it was one of the queen castles in my group that has four little slots. And to my amazement, I got four queens back. Now, two were distinctly smaller than the other two. Not exactly sure about that. But even the small ones were decent looking queens, but the, the big ones were, of course, gorgeous. And I used some of those because there were hives that went queenless in the late summer. And that is just the fabulous part about having the mini nukes around or any nuke around is it is just so easy to instantly requeen a queenless hive with a piece of newspaper and boom, it's done. And they just get excited it is amazing. Something I noticed this year, they can be dejected standing around on their porch. This is anytime I see bees kind of standing around their porch looking down. <laughs> yes, that's a projection, but you'll you'll see it. If you see bees who are bummed out on their porch, to me, that is a signal to check them out in the bee season because so often something has gone awry in there and, and their morale is clearly impacted. And I have noticed that some signs of queenlessness just, you know, without going before, I don't, I'm not going to say without going through the hive, but before you look through the hive, some signs of queenlessness that I've noticed are the dejected bees that are not busy, they're not bringing in pollen, and then also then when you open the hive first, they're real agitated and runny around, and then sometimes they'll do the, the queenless roar, but all of those to me are signs to look closer at a hive, and over the season, a couple times that happened, I'm like, mm, I don't like the way y'all are looking on your porch, and then I would go in and there would be no sign of a queen, and absolutely zero brood left in the entire hive, which what that lets me know is probably they have had a failed queen return of some kind, especially if you find queen cells that, that emerge, like swarm cells that emerged, and now they don't have a single bit of brood in the entire brood nest area. Then to me, because I have spare bees, if I 
Well, let me say this. If I have time, I can always do the test frame technique where you put a frame of eggs borrowed from another hive in there after shaking all the bees off to make sure you don't have that queen. And then watch what they do over the next several days with that frame. Because if you go back in four days later, if they are queenless, there will be big visible queen cells on that frame. But sometime at at this point, I can pretty much make a reasonably educated guess as to if there's not a speck of brood in the entire hive and there's some other signs of queenlessness in in the the way they look. Sometimes I'll just risk it and newspaper combine one of the stash of nukes I keep just for this purpose. And what I've noticed is, and this, this, when I feel like I hit that ride, that I've made the right guess, is they go from being dejected and just standing around and not actively foraging. And then you go out a few days later, they, there's newspaper all over, you know, out front because they, they've chewed through the newspaper, dragged it out. And then everybody is just back in business. It's like an airport. They're just coming and going, bringing in pollen. Then that to me lets me know that, that I solved the queenless problem. And it's just another reason to have those little spare nukes sitting around. I'm always thankful for those. Now, I at this point, I won't be doing a lot more inspections from very, very soon. It will be last call for that. I, in fact, this week I looked at the weather and there's a couple of days that I can look at some that I'm just way behind on. And should I find any of them to be queenless, I will combine them. But if if everybody appears to be queen right that I have remaining to check, then I will be overwintering some of those little mini nukes that are just not big enough because they were started so late in the season. They're not big enough to be viable over the winter. But as I discovered last year, if I overwinter them over a wood shaving filled shim and a double screen board over a large hive, and then I put that nuke in a box uh, as the very top penthouse box over a larger hive, then at least last year, all of those that I did that way, they were all young queens and healthy, looking good. They were just too tiny. All of those survived last year. The two or three that maybe four that I should have left over, um, barring a bunch of queenlessness uh, that I discovered this week, then I will probably be trying that again because that was a very handy thing that worked well for me. In fact, the only pain in the butt aspect of it was I had some of those over hives that had gotten light on stores. So I would have to pick strategic spots in the winter to lift that top box off, set it aside, put winter patty in the shim on the lower hive, then set the top box back on, set their winter patty on. So there was a a lot of, that was not exactly fun. So this year I'm going to be more strategic and only put my little uh, penthouse winter setups over really, really heavy hives (laughs) so that hopefully I will not have to to do all that. I've already got a bucket of winter patty that I had ordered already ready to go just in case for whatever happens later this winter. I did not want to get in a situation where, you know, you walk out there and discover that one is just bone dry and you don't have anything to put on it. Now, if I didn't have my winter patty, I would go in my kitchen and make up some sugar brick. Those are the two emergency thing I use, but I'm real fond of those winter patties. The softness of it, the bees seem to really like that. The You can use it on extremely small hives because I know this is weird, but I have actually had some of the sugar bricks, maybe I made them too dry, 
but it didn't seem like there was enough bee breath condensation to really soften them up in quantity to to feed some hives in the past. And that's why once I tried out these winter patties, I have no financial interest in winter patties. <laughs> I don't own stock, but but I think they're they're darn cool. And and actually one of the biggest selling points of them for me besides that they seem to work equally well on all different size colonies, is the sandwich box trick. And that was just taking a clear Tupperware or some type of container roughly the size of a of a sandwich box and packing it with the soft winter patty and then just popping that little thing upside down over the hole in the inner cover. Since it's clear, it enabled me to, at a glance, see if they had eaten through that. If I could see a bunch of bees in there, I would know I would need to refill or replace that winter patty. Now, the note here is, if you cut off all the ventilation at the top there, which, and with my particular inner covers, so, so I have what I think are traditional wooden inner covers. I got them from Brushy Mountain back in the day, but they are the kind that when you put them on the hive, this is a, the wooden inner cover, they fit completely flush on the top. So the only bee space is created on the top bar. So there's not a lot of bee space. And then there's the hole in the middle. And then there is a top entrance. But to use that top entrance in the regular way of putting it on there, the, the, the this side up, <laughs> which was printed on there when I got it this side up, then the bees have to come out that hole and then walk forward to use that little door. Now, the good part of that door is it is a place to allow moist air to escape the hive. And this is utterly vital. Good flow of air is utterly vital if your outer cover or your top cover, whatever, is not insulated because that's where the dreaded condensation comes in. But because all of my top covers are pretty thickly insulated, and some of them in the heart of winter, I even put foam board on top of the outer cover as well. I don't know that that did anything, I don't, but made me feel better. <laughs> but anyway, all of them have the thick foam board on the inside. And so condensation is not as great of a, of a problem for me. It did not alarm me to cut off that ventilation flow because of the insulation. Now, a way around that, if you're worried about it or if you're not, um, if you're, if you haven't tested out insulation versus ventilation, if you haven't tested that out, I would say the safer thing to do than what I do would be to take that inner cover just for the winter and flip it so that there's more space. There's about, well, what would it be? At least a half inch, maybe three quarters inch. Now in the bee season, that doesn't work because they will put comb, burr comb in all that space. So you have to remember first thing in the spring before your flow to flip it back into the summer position. But if you flip it like that so that they, there is bee space above the top bars, what it also does, if you have one of these covers that they have to walk out that hole up, or I should say they walk up and out that hole and then across the board and then out that little front door, what it also does is it creates a top entrance ventilation door that opens directly into the hive. That way, it's really cute. <laughs> I think it's really cute to have those little entrances. Uh, some of, I have another type board that has those, no matter which direction you put it, that the, the door, if you would, if you stuck your finger in that little door while it's on, you would be sticking your finger right into the hive 
rather than just right into the sort of attic space. And the bees will sit there and kind of look at the outside. I really love to go and see them. It's a tiny entrance, so it's only about two bees can sit there in the door and look out in the winter, see what's going on. If it's if it's uh, not cold, not warm enough to fly, but but not cold enough that they have to be all tightly clustered. Some of the bees will draw themselves a propolis curtain and close off that door completely. And I I find that very interesting. You know, when the bees close their own openings, <laughs> I, I don't go and open them. And that's kind of how I experimented with the ventilation. You know, I I would give them top ventilation ports that they could close. And sure enough, they would close every single one of them would be solid with, with propolis. So so anyway, insulation is a whole nother topic. Talk about that again later. And actually, if you happen to be in the Yancey County Club, if I remember the email correctly, I believe the October meeting, someone from McDowell County is going to come and talk about insulation. So I'm hoping to go to that one, see what they have to say, see how it gels with my own experience. But I'm a huge fan of top insulation and winter patties just because they're so darn handy and easy to use and easy to put on or refill as the case may be without a bunch of bees getting upset and flying out into the cold and then dying there in the yard unless you pick them up and try to throw them back in in which case many of their sisters get out if if <laughs> you know if uh if you've ever tried to replace a sugar brick when there's a bunch of uh, bees on it you you know what I'm talking about so I'm getting all that stuff in my mind see just talking it talking through it with you guys is is helping me get my plan of attack of figuring out what kind of inner covers everybody has on them, making the decision, depending on the type of inner cover, whether I'm going to flip it upside down for the winter or not, whether I'm going to need just a shim in order to have enough room for a nice chunk of winter patty, or whether it's the kind of inner cover that I will need an actual box to do any type of top feeding. The other thing I did last winter that I will probably repeat is that I used wood shavings to spill, to fill the space. So I would have my sandwich box with the winter patty over that hole in the inner cover. And then I would put either a, a shim or a box around it. And depending on how much space there was, I would either completely fill or partly fill that space with wood shavings, which we happen to use for the duck bedding. And so these are, uh, I use the clean ones, <laughs> the clean ones for the bees. They would not appreciate used uh, duck bedding, but I would use uh, clean wood shavings as an insulation box. Now it's not super duper insulative, just a box of wood shavings. It actually has an R value quite a bit lower than I would have guessed. But what I noticed is it really was amazing to put my hand down into the wood shavings. If I knew I had a secure sandwich box, I don't stick my hand down in there if uh, if it was one of those iffy sandwich boxes because there might be bees in, in the bottom of the shavings. And actually, that's a, a bad scene because they start trying to take it out. Anyway, uh, make sure your sandwich boxes are intact. Otherwise, if there's a hole in them as there was in one of mine, the bees will just take out little wood chips as as often as they can. But the the wood shaving box, the quilt box, I really liked that because I could put my hand down in there and just instantly feel the warmth of the sandwich box. And that was the fastest proof of life check that I have found uh, with bees. It was quick. If, if I felt in there and it was toasty warm, I knew there were still a live colony in there. And of course, last winter was my best winter ever and every single one of them. Um, so unfortunately, 
probably this winter I'll stick my hand in there and there'll be a cold sandwich box. That bizarre little setup that I came up with has just served me really well. So that was just trying to do some brainstorming of things that have worked well in the past that I will hopefully get set up in time to do again this winter. I'd mentioned that because my bees are not as in a good order as I would prefer, it could be a rough winter. The other thing that I've had going on this year is for the first time ever in the where the farm is, I actually have multiple neighbors now who've taken up beekeeping. Now they're doing well and they, I think, I know one of them, at least, is a very conscientious beekeeper. I don't know the other one well enough to know how that's going. As you all know, this is going to put some new pressure on my bees. Pressure in terms of mite pressure, probably, depending on how they how they take care of their bees. So my bees are going to be tested more. Again, I, I my mite counts on the ones that I've done, I've been very, very pleased with, will not be very long at all for before my flying weather is done. Now the upside to that is that once flying weather is over and they're closed down for the winter, if they die, they will not take their mites into other hives. So the only good thing about winter losses is if it's in true winter, then whatever mites and diseases they might have going on on those bees at least do not go to other healthier colonies, which unlike fall collapses or summer collapses, unfortunately spread things to other to other colonies, both by bees leaving the dying colony, but worse by healthy bees robbing out the dying colony along with their loot, they take away mites and diseases. So we will see how my bees do having beekeeping neighbors. Realistically, this is the the only way that my bees will be tested, (laughs) you know, to know if all the selection that I've done has had an effect, then hopefully they will bear up well under that pressure. And we'll see. Uh, I'll report back on that. If they don't do well, then that might be the first signal that chemical-free might not be an option for me any longer. I hope that's not the case but it's it's possible like most people who keep their bees elbow to elbow with other beekeepers i will be in the same boat as most of you guys and will need to do a, a different type of uh, of management with with the organic mite treatments i would not be afraid in the least in terms of the quality of the honey or the residue in the hive i feel good about the safety of the the formic and the oxalic and those are what I would turn to should the way that I've kept bees all these years become unsustainable given to changes in my environment. Now, the other change in my environment might be population pressure. I mean, I'm in a very wooded area. So if we, if, if our tree nectar flows fail, and they often do, it, tulip poplar gets washed out by rain, sourwood you may or may not have many. We don't have much locust in this area. So if any of those are badly impacted, then it could be a terrible honey year. And I'm speaking for the bees. With more hives in my little valley, I'll have to be more careful about that. In fact, in all seriousness, I, in my notes, I've basically planned to have fewer hives here at the farm just to reduce the foraging pressure since there are more hives in the neighborhood and I'll just have to spread out a little bit more. I was listening to a YouTube by Bob Benny the other day. I can't remember the title of it, but basically he was setting up a brand new bee yard. He was clearing, they were clearing a little space, 
And he talked about in that area, which must be a good area because he's trying to get lots of bee yards there. He said he had a bee yard about every mile and a half, which was interesting because, you know, like three miles would be the bee's flying zone. But he actually creates some overlap so that if he's doing any queen mating, then that queen will have a pool of suitors within about a mile of her. And from the numbers that I've heard that typically of that a a drone doesn't go that far, he might go out scouting a quarter mile, but queens go significantly further and that's to prevent inbreeding. But anyway, Bob Benny's thing about having an apiary every mile and a half I just made a mental note that to look a mile and a half from other yards I have as potential for another yard. Now, I'm 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 actually cutting back. Nature might cut me back. <laughs> I might not have to do a thing and get drastically cut back on the number of hives I have, depending on how the winter goes. Even if I didn't have that happen, I will be cutting back on the number of hives because as life has shown me, it's actually better to have fewer hives to, that can be managed more carefully than to be spread too thin, as I discovered this year, to be both spread thin and then have unexpected life events hit, it can be ugly. So I'm going to try to learn learn my lesson here <laughs> and, and definitely 2023 manage far fewer hives, but hopefully with top-notch quality and hopefully Finally, despite I've been trying to do this for about three years now of to work on my idea for um, kind of alternative hive setup using Lang equipment, hopefully next year I'm going to have time to do that. Lord willing, I'm going to be in the basement workshop this winter working on it. I actually had some opportunity this summer I could have been working on it, but all my equipment, every single bit of my equipment and more was, was in use. And so I didn't have any spare equipment to break up and reconstruct like I want to for this alternative long hive arrangements that I that I want to work on. Anyway, so so that's what's been going on. I have really missed talking to you all, and I hope so much you have had a wonderful bee season. I'm going to put a few links in the show notes of this show on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash fiveapple, F-I-V-E-A-P-P-L-E. And a, a few links in the show notes. These will be available to everyone. of just some videos that I've watched or listened to lately that brought some things to mind. And I'll share those links and just a few comments about those of what, what I noticed listening to those and what you might look for if you listen to or, or get a chance to watch those. So I'll wrap this up. If you are in an area where you still are able to do liquid feeding of sugar syrup, I can do it briefly in the daytime, but I don't want to do a lot on these little light hives because I don't want them to fill it up with wet nectar that they're not going to have time to cap. But I've been doing on those little mini nukes that I told you about, I've definitely been keeping up with the trickle feeding of thin syrup with those guys because they're not you know, there's, they're not going to pack out uh, their area, but I definitely wanted to keep the queen laying and it really does work. It is really eye-opening every time to see the difference in the, the beauty of the brood comb of a hive that fed thin syrup in late summer versus those who just did it on their own. Uh, They might be surviving and doing good, but they're, they just have a completely different brood pattern. So anyway, don't get too uptight on your syrup ratios. 
Remember, it can be by volume or weight, and it's roughly the same. We're getting into the time that if your hives are light and you still have time to bulk them up with liquid feed, then you want to do two-to-one syrup. That's the heavy syrup, two parts sugar, one part water. It's the kind that's hard to mix. You're probably going to have to use your kettle to boil some water to to get it to mix. But again, the two-to-one, two sugars, two quantities of sugar to one quantity of water, and that'll give you the thick syrup if you still, or if, if you're in an area where you still have time to do that. So I'm wishing you well, and I want to again thank the patrons for sticking with me, not giving up on me. I appreciate it so much. It has enabled me to get back here with you and hopefully start a new stretch of educational things for the winter as we all try to get more educated for the next season. I will try to make a point to talk to you after that B Club meeting. It's not till the end of October, so don't hold your breath or anything, but um, about the insulation. I'll see, see, what, see what they said on that. And in the meantime, take good care. Enjoy your autumn. I hope it's beautiful and wonderful wherever you are. And I'll talk to you again soon.